really wanted just to share about tonight, and in part it was, I think, what James was, was speaking about a little bit earlier, and in tying in with what Paul was sharing in terms of that we are in a time of a lot of shaking, and there's a lot of things that are happening where people are questioning, you know, what's going on. And there's two sides to it. There's a side of it which is the world and its financial systems getting shaken very badly. People have put a lot of confidence in a lot of things, and it's not working anymore. I actually face, or I deal with a lot of my colleagues in Europe, and they are forever telling me how badly the UK is doing in comparison with the rest of Europe. And it has to do with the, fund, the fundamental um, values and caution and conservatism that they put into place in managing their financial systems compared to us. And um, there's a bit of a smirk that comes across every time they talk to me, particularly from the Germans. We told you you were doing it wrong, yeah? And you would not listen, yeah. Um, but um, not only are the, the environment we're getting shaken, but also it does shake and affect us. Because whether we like it or not, um, often we build on things that aren't permanent. Um, I'm always remembered of that, and it was wonderfully illustrated just recently by the little video that we saw, building your house on the rock. At times like this, when you go through change or go through anything um, of challenge, what has been built on the rock stands, and what isn't built on the rock gets quite badly shaken. And that can be a lot of things. It can be yourself. It can be your own uh, confidence in your abilities, whatever it is, but those things get shaken. And so I actually wanted just tonight just to touch very quickly on something which actually the Bible speaks about a lot, um, which is around the area of doubt. These are times where people may actually come and question what they are doing, why they're doing it, and whether that is the right thing to do. I know that for a good number of people here tonight that there are decisions that they're making in terms of their lives that they may be going, well, is that the right thing? They may be encountering as well, just in your relationship with God, things and you're saying, well, you know, God, where are you in this? Are you really there? I have in my home group um, two people that are, are quite threatened work-wise. In fact, one has already been asked whether or not, you know, that he's, he's got two months to find another job. And it's with, when you're in moments like that that the rubber hits the road. Because you can't pretend or be super spiritual about anything. You've got to have a job. <laughs> And what does the Bible say? Where is God in this, etc.? And so doubt is something which I think in this time we really need to be ready to address, not only from ourselves, but also from the people that are going to come and talk to us. And Ant, a number of weeks back, introduced that whole understanding to us as well, that we live in a postmodern world. And what Paul was saying, that under the age of 30, people have not known certain things and have not even, a, uh, you know, I speak to a number of my colleagues at work, and again, I will say, well, you know, that's like a, a Joseph thing, or I'll use something, or David and Goliath, and they'll go, who? Which sounds incredulous in one level, but in another way, they've, they've not been brought up, they have known nothing about the gospel. So doubts are something which I think we should encounter and, and, and are going to encounter. Um, things like, you know, did God really say that? That is, was a pivotal question for Eve, and it was the reason that... Um, where sin was introduced into the world. Um, questions of, you know, is God who he claims to be? Um, all those type of questions are there, and, and each of us needs to at some point deal with them and address them. I'm not trying to promote doubt tonight. I want to make clear. 
um, just stating that doubt is in many ways inevitable. And every great person in the Bible has gone through it in some period and some question. And God uses doubt in a phenomenal way. Um, because when we go through doubt and we go through times of questioning, what comes out is a strengthened relationship with God. It can also go the other way, of course, and I think I've been a Christian for 27 years, um, almost, I think, as long as Ant, um, which is a long time. And um, the, um, many of us that started with Ant and I as Christians have fallen away along the way. On the, long, along the road. And the reason is, is because, again, doubts have got in and undermined what um, has happened there. So why, why does doubt occur um, is probably a key question. And I think it's worth just understanding why doubts happen and what, what, what is, the, is the reason often that it occurs. One is, is that you've got to recognize that our faith, God is unseen. Thomas's big issue when he was dealing with Jesus, he, 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 could hand, he knew Jesus, but he had not met yet the resurrected Christ. And when you have that, there's that faith element, there's that, that touching element, there's that area. And until God is proven in a certain sense in our lives, there's always a bit of a gap. And it's, it's incredible how many of us want to stay in the shallows and not risk because we're frightened that we'll find something that's not there. And God actually is determined not to let us stay there. God, with every single person in the Bible, always says, you're going to have to trust me in a situation that you can't see me. Always. It's a, it's a biblical principle. So you will have doubt just because of the nature of God is unseen. We are in a physical world. God is spiritual. We have to, there is that bridge that we have to cross. The other thing is that we walk by faith, not by acts or deeds or follow a whole lot of rigid laws. It's easier if you have to just believe that these are the 10 things you need to pray five times a day. You need to do X, Y, and Z. We don't belong to a dogmatic, law-driven religion in any form. It is fundamentally motivated by faith. And as a result of that, we don't have the easy let-offs to say, well, if you just keep on, we don't have the, the easy cop-out that Allah will just provide. Because our God is not Allah. Our God is the God who created heaven and earth and is revealed by Jesus Christ. He walked among us and he has your Holy Spirit within us. It is a faith walk. It's different. I got annoyed the other day, actually. I was watching a program with um, our mayor, Mr. Boris, and um, he was doing this thing, a review between the East religions, and he was trying to take a position of trying to come to common ground between the three faiths, between um, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And his first one was to go to the Islamic world and to talk to them. And it was very interesting because it was quite interesting just their perspective. It was their perspective coming back. But some of the things that were there, and again, it was the perception from their side. They said, you know, in Islam, there is no mediator between God and man. There's no priesthood in terms of it. And, you know, unlike the Christians, there is. And it just showed just the fundamental, and it was, wasn't challenged, in, in this thing, he wasn't challenged at all in, 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 um, in, um, by, by Boris at all. Um, we just showed, again, the poor understanding that people have of what we, what we believe and how we, we, we live out our lives. We do walk a very different faith 
to what the Jews believe in and what to um, the, 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 the um, Muslims believe in. We have a very different faith. And it's important that we understand those differences because that's key to addressing some of the questions that are going to come forward. The other thing that's a key principle in, in, in our faith is that we work by relationship. Everything in our faith is, 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 is centered on relationship. It's our relationship with Jesus and it's our relationship with each other. That is the church, and it is our relationship with those who are not, do not know him. That is the pivotal framework, the pivotal cog around with which everything works. And when you have a faith that is determined by relationship, you do have tensions. Every one of us, well, again, I'll pick on Ant because he's easy to pick on, and I've known him for a long time. But the, the reality is, is that I can tell you now, my faith, and I trust Ant's faith, has grown by the level of relationship that we have pursued. Where faith often breaks down, where doubts creep in, is where we allow relationships to break down. Either our relationship with Jesus, or our relationship with each other, or our relationship with the church, or our relationship with the world. Somewhere along the line, you will find wreckage when relationships break down. It's a, it's a golden principle in which we work. And as a result, we have a challenge in that. That's part of the reason doubts occur, but it is a challenge that we have, and it's, it's part of the joy of what we have, but let's not be naive about the fact that it's quite difficult to work out at times. Um, the other problem that we have in terms of where doubts crop up is that, unfortunately, we are full of rubbish. <laughs> we are sinful creatures. We have stuff and we are called to sanctification. God's work in us is sanctification and transformation of that. And whenever you're involved in transformation of stuff that's wrong, things leak out, doubts occur, stuff happens. And again, that's part of the process that happens. And then finally, it's the world. Um, I think um, Brother Jung, I think, was it, I think it was Brother Jung from um, Heavenly Man, said that he found the psychological pressure being here far greater than the persecution he encountered in China. Solzhenitsyn, when he escaped from the gulag, when he was released from the gulag in Russia, absolutely came out as a superhero, Nobel Prize winner, etc., to the West, and absolutely hated the West because he said they were decadent and that they had not embraced any form of true religion at all. And... Um, we can't underestimate the pressure of the world around us, the circumstances, and all those are there also to sort of sow in doubt and to cause it. So how do we deal with all these type of things? These are some of the principles we work with. These are some of the realities we have to deal with. So how do we deal with those things? And tonight I'm just going to mention four areas. I've deliberately tried to stay away from what I would call sort of easy spiritual answers. I've tried to give four what I think are foundational principles I've seen in people who have endured people who've got 30, 40, 50, 60 years under their belt in terms of Christianity, things that they've resolved and have worked with. The first principle that I've seen, the first application, is really what I would call true repentance and, conver and, and conversion. It was very interesting to me, we often have people talk about being radically saved. And actually that doesn't exist in Scripture. You either are saved or you're not. There's no. Um, my sister was, to me, is a case in point. Um, I remember getting very discouraged to some extent that my sister took so long to eventually come to God. It took her 50 years. Um, but I can tell you what, when she came, she came and she was, it was a 180 turnaround. 
The reason was it took her to that point to get so desperate and to actually repent. She really got on her knees and said, God, I'm sorry. One of the things we have is that um, I've had a discussion with Ant around this is sometimes, and it's the world around us, people respond out of emotion, not out of repentance. It's easy to feel sorry than to change your way. And um, true repentance and conversion is an essential part of the Christian life. You need a culture, if I can put it, of repentance, a, a lifestyle of repentance. Because again, if you look in Scripture, every great person in Scripture had that as a staple. They knew they had to live a life in which they had to say regularly, I'm sorry, I need to move on. That's not a negative, guilt-driven thing. That's an ability to move forward. But getting that right is important. I realized in my Christian walk after a number of years, I'd grown up, grown up in the faith movement. And I'd become a Christian, honesty, and I was saved because I'd understood the benefits of God. What I hadn't encountered yet was my own arrogance and selfishness. And it was a great revelation to me as I grew older that actually those were things I had to deal with. <laughs> and it's as I became more aware of that and repented more of that, that actually my relationship with God improved. And some of the doubts I had faded away because I'd had a deeper revelation of what God was doing with me. And so one of the first checkpoints for yourself, this little Q&A test tonight, is... Repentance and conversion. Have you really repented on all the things in your life? Is there something that you know that you're holding back on? Because I can tell you that the degree you hold back will be the degree that doubts can creep in. Um, the second one is um, I borrow from one of my absolute foundational guys called Francis Schaeffer. He wrote a book called True Spirituality. And um, True Spirituality starts off with a chapter called The history of our faith. And what Schaefer meant by that was that our faith that we believe isn't pie in the sky. It's grounded in history. The reason that I am a Christian is because in my life at the age of 17, God intervened in my life. If God not had not intervened in my life at 17, my life would be different. He changed my history. He continues to change my history. And you know what? It's true for every single one of you. It's the truth when God encountered Luther and changed history by convincing Luther of his truth about faith. God works in history. It is a uniqueness in the Christian faith. Obviously, the Jewish religion has the same principles to a point, but in Christianity, it's an absolute dividing line. Our faith is not based on wishy-washy thinking. It's historical. Jesus was not some conjured-up guy. He wasn't like the angel Moroni in the Mormon faith. He was a real living being, as real as you are. If you pinch yourself, as real as you are, so was Jesus. One of the things that's powerful about that, what's the Mel Gibson film? The Passion, is that you see what Jesus really went through. Understand, that was a historical event. And it's very powerful is because when you realize that our faith isn't based on anything that's wishy-washy, it's, it's, it's very practical and very down-to-earth and totally and utterly grounded in history, you suddenly get a revelation to realize that actually I can be a history maker. I can make a difference in where I'm going because God interfered with my history 
Therefore, he can change the history of others. It's very powerful in terms of our impact on our communities and going forward. And again, if you don't understand that, doubt can creep in about, you know, why do you believe, etc. But when you have a revelation of that from God, you know you can change history and let God deal with a whole lot of things. Um, the third element that I wanted just to bring out is actually a book, again, bar- borrowing from another gem, a man called Os Guinness. <clears throat> and no, Drew, he did not establish the brewery. Um, but he, he's, a, he's a wonderful, wonderful, um, very, he's a, to me, he's a father in the faith. And he wrote a book called Doubt um, a number of years ago. And he, in the book, I can still remember, he dealt with one thing. He said that there, are, there is what we'd call a foundational um, theology that you need to have. And again, it's one of the things that a lot of us don't have put in place. We come to a position of belief. We believe some things about God, but there are some things which aren't settled. And what he says really in, in this book is he says that you need to settle this. There's some areas you have to settle. If you settle this, you can move on and you will never fall below that level. You, you will always, it'll be an anchor to you wherever you're going. You have to settle these things. And the things I, I've written down here, just an interpretation of it, what is settled in my life <clears throat> is one, that I'm settled that God exists. I know that the world will say, well, there's evidence in this. But I've, I've settled that issue. I know God exists. I'm also settled that he created the universe and everything in it. I'm not sure of the method, to be very honest. And we can have a big debate about the method. But I can tell you what, he did create it. And everything in it. The other thing that is settled is that he is revealed through Jesus. He's not revealed through anything or, anything or anyone else. He's revealed through Jesus. And you can't get to him unless you go through Jesus. The fourth area is that God is motivated by love. Deep down, when you look at other religions, you don't come away with that sense of it. Even in the faith, people doubt whether God is motivated by love. It's a, prime, it's a key thing. You can't understand hell until you understand love. The motive of God in terms of it. He's motivated by it. It is an issue to settle. You cannot come to understand God's grace towards you until you understand that he's motivated by love. And then the final point is that he, is cre- that, that he created me and he knows me. In other words, I'm not a biological accident. I may be the accident of a careless night by my parents, but I am not a biological accident in any way. The Bible is very clear on that. He knows me. He knows who I am. He knows my history, and he is going to make sure that that comes through. If you settle those five things, you have a foundation that can't be shaken. You can go through many things if you think about it, and I'll leave it to you just to to build on it, but if you have those five things secure you will be amazed at what a foundation that is. And then the last thing is, is finally in Romans 12. Um, I, I really enjoyed my Bible survey going through Romans. It gave me too much ammunition, actually. Um, I think I irritate my family all the time by how many times I refer to it. But in Romans 12, <clears throat> there's a very practical, Romans 12, 1 to 6, if you want to just turn there. There is a very, very practical um, explanation here by Paul 
about how we live out our faith. And again, if you have these other three in place, that you understand those other three points, then this absolutely, as a way you live out your life, is pivotal. Um, starting from verse 1, 12 verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that's because God loves you, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what that is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And that's what we want to do. We need to prove God's perfect will in our life, in our lives. And Paul goes on to say three things just after this of what establishes that in your life. He mentions three principles. The first principle he talks about in verse 3 is to be sober-minded about yourself, to be realistic, humility. And that's a key thing. If I look at people who've fallen by the way, it's because they don't have a sober understanding of who they are. And I find it falls in two camps. They either overrate themselves or undervalue themselves. The Bible says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. See yourself as God sees you. When you do that, actually, everything falls into place in the way you see others as well. The second part, verses 4 and 5, is about the body and what I call membership. That you are part of a body. You and I are part of a body. The church is the greater body that we're part of, but also part of the local body. If we see ourselves properly, we know our place within a body. And this is the relationship issue. We are called to be in relationship. If you have a true value of yourself and you know what your role is and you play your part within a body, doubt is something that will not easily occur within your life. And the third part over there is exercise your gifting according to your faith, your humility, and on the needs of your community. If you have those three things in tandem, a right understanding of yourself, understanding you belong to others, and that God has given you gifting that he wants you to grow and nurture and develop to grow those others, people. You have a very powerful thing. So, just looking over that, that is your acceptable worship. That's why he talks about acceptable worship, and that is the transformation that happens in you. So, today, I just really wanted to put it to you as a, as a challenge. People have fallen away. You may know of people yourselves. I believe that if you look at these four areas very carefully and do an audit of yourself to say, where do I stand on those things? You will find that God will fill whatever doubts you may have. There will be some challenges, yes, but you are able to overcome any doubt that is in there in your mind. Um, I wanted also just to share finally, um, I don't very often read my poetry. Um, but I wanted to share a poem. I, I was distressed, I think, in the last block of time, and it ta- caused me to really sit down and think very carefully about where we are going and what has happened and why things change and go along and, and everything. And so I wrote a poem really just about it, and I, I hope just in a conclusion it just brings to sort of a nutshell some of the things that I've said here. 
Um, it starts off quite negative, so don't get bothered, James. Okay. Where does this end? Why is the crib so barren? How great are the born? How nurtured? How raised? How noble? Yet of a certain age, of a certain passion, of certain thought, they willingly abandon the house of hope and grab the destructive truth of death. Where is the promise not grounded? Where is the trust not secure? Why is the house so sure of its foundation, often so prone to collapse? Do we not know how we should build? Do we forget the eternity that God has committed to us? Are we sometimes just children at play in a field of war where the weapons we gleefully sling maim the family and miss the enemy? Churlish and proud, sullen in worship and unforgiving in grace, where sacrifice is financial and not personal. Cocooned, isolated, and with nothing to articulate, we eliminate ourselves and leave the field for rabble to fill. This ancient quest, so subtle in its way, requires of us not words, nor thought, nor effort, but abandonment. A righteous step that never looks back, battered maybe, but never bettered. A forward determination that carves a wilderness path clear, not with intent, but with hope, faith, and love. And really, that's just the challenge I just felt tonight. We may have doubts and we may have challenges, but God, with all he's given us, has equipped us more than enough to face whatever doubts or challenges we come our way. So, I think just pray in conclusion. Father, just thank you for just your spirit this evening. Just come and do just a wonderful, tender work within all of us. It just reminds us, Lord, that in all the things we face, we are never alone. That all we have to do is come and fall on our knees and say, God, I need you, and you are there. Father, I thank you for this body, and I thank you for the relationships that exist amongst us. They are precious, Lord. Your word says that when the brethren dwell together, it is like oil that is poured on our heads. And Lord, we know that. We see that. And Lord, also, I just want to thank you for your word and for Jesus. Because, Lord, you don't come and give us fine words. Jesus never came to give people ideas. He gave himself, and he opened the very door to meet you and to see you and to live our lives for you. So, Lord, tonight I just pray that with the power of your Spirit that you come tonight and just really banish away any doubts that we have, any burdens that we have, and just come and fill us with a fresh revelation of how awesome, how wonderful, how complete, how great is our God that walks not with us from a text, but walks with us daily, moment by moment. I thank you, Lord, that your word says that as many are led by your spirit, they are your children. And I thank you that that is something you have poured lavishly on us, is your spirit to lead us and to guide us. 
And so, Lord, I just tonight just speak your blessing over us and just pray right now as this week we may encounter people who are having doubts and challenges. But what we can stand up and say is we know what we believe because we know who we believe in. In Jesus' name, amen.